This is Chris Vogler. I'm the author of The Writer's Journey, Mythic Structure for Writers, and also Memo from the Story Department, Secrets of Structure and Character. And you're listening to Genretainment. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Genretainment at SciFiPulseRadio.com. We're your hosts, Marks. And Julie. Genretainment is where we talk about what's happening in the world of film, TV, and web series. We give you interviews with writers, directors, producers, and actors in both independent and not-so-independent creations. Now, on this episode, our 106th, mm. we are chatting. Yeah, woohoo! We are chatting with author Monica Lionel. She is a successful indie author of fiction and nonfiction, and she wrote the excellent book *Write Better Faster*, and has many new books that just hit Amazon and has more coming out soon. Now, if you're a writer or think you might want to be, uh, then you don't want to miss this episode. We talk about her unique path to becoming a writer, learn a bunch of tips for writing faster, and how to use dictation software, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, talk about her different book series and much more. Mm-hmm. Now, before we do get started with the interview, we want to point out that the music you just heard at the beginning of the show was a snippet from the theme song for our web series, Reality On Demand. It was a song composed and performed by our friend Tishon Hardy, and you can find our web series at realityondemandseries.com. Now let's get started with our interview with writer Monica Lionel. Hi, Monica. Welcome to Genretainment. Hi. How's it going? Great. Thanks. So you're an author out of Chicago who writes young adult novels and novellas and also wrote the nonfiction book Write Better Faster. And you also have many books scheduled for release coming up here. You have an interesting background. You have an MBA and a Bachelor of Science in Computer Science with a minor in Physics which is pretty interesting and probably not the background, educational background everyone would originally think. So um, what did lead you to becoming a writer professionally? Well, I think I've always wanted to be a writer, but I didn't see the career path. I, I guess part of it was that I really bought into that starving artist mentality. So when I was going through school, everything that I studied was purposely meant to bring myself job security. So, you know, computer science, obviously, uh, engineering, you know, computer engineering, that's a high in demand field. Same as when I got my MBA, you know, business, that's also high in demand. So it wasn't really until I I started getting into um, the just into the publishing industry that I realized that there was this opportunity and, you know, the opportunity to, to have more control over your, uh, your career as an author, all of that's come probably in the last five years, especially with indie publishing opening up and becoming more acceptable to readers primarily. That's helped a lot. You know, I think being an author, it's, there's always been an element of entrepreneurship to it, but now that's even you know, that's even more true. They, we even have a new term coined, um, authorpreneur. So <laughs> I like that. Yeah. So I think, you know, I think the opportunity is there to leverage different markets and really build, really truly build a business as an author. And so that's what has attracted me to it now as a career option. As for writing, I've always loved writing. 
-hmm. Okay, I have to ask. So the physics minor, was that in a quest for job security or just something that you <laughs> liked? No. <laughs> no, certainly not. So I started out as a physics major and just realized very quickly that it, was, it wasn't the best career path for me, really. So then I switched to computer science. So yeah, I do have the leftover physics minor, um, which is great, but you know, it's just from because I started with that degree. Well, it's not quite the science equivalent of like a philosophy degree, but right. yeah, yeah. unless you're a character in the Big Bang Theory, it's probably exactly. hard to get like a really, really, really good paying job. Yeah, exactly. So I'm going to watch for any physics mistakes in your science fiction. <laughs> oh, yeah, like you know. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> So in 2014, you published eight books and a short story. Uh, now you say on your blog, you average around 3,000 words per hour. You sometimes write up to 25,000 words per week. Right. Needless to say, when I heard about that, I was very curious how, how you were able to do that. And I bought and enjoyed your book, Write Better Faster. She never sleeps. <laughs> One trick, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what prompted you to write that book on that topic? Well, the thing that prompted me is that as a writer, you know, we're all, I mean, we're always looking to improve our productivity. And for me, back when I was starting to do this, I had, I was only, I was writing about a thousand words per hour, which I thought that's, that's pretty good, actually. Like, you know, I thought I was doing really well. <laughs> so then I, I was full-time freelancer and really having to crank out a lot of, you know, articles, content, that sort of thing to pay my bills. And I learned that 1,000 words per hour is not very fast at all. And I, you know, I was friends with a lot of other freelance writers, and they were writing 3,000 to 4,000 words per hour, which to me at that time, it just sounded absolutely ridiculous. Like I was like, <laughs> there's no way. <laughs> but there, I mean, but there, there was a way and I knew there was because I knew these people personally, right? Like it wasn't some, you know, story I heard on the internet. It was people <laughs> that I knew. It wasn't an urban legend. It was... Right, exactly. In the first one, like maybe them. they were fibbing, but after that, <laughs> yeah. wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, the reason I wrote the book, so I mean, the book is all about my experiments in trying to get to this, uh, you know, mythical 4,000 words per hour. And I was able to hit it, um, not as consistently as I wanted to. So I think there is, you know, a bit of a fib there, but definitely I was hitting between 3,000 to 4,000 words per hour regularly. So that message, to me, it was a message that the indie community and that really the author community, the, the writing community that's involved in publishing had not heard yet. It was just it was something that, you know, people didn't know about. And it, I realized, like, everybody should know about this because it's not it's not like you're born with this ability. You can teach yourself how to do this. So I laid out, you know, the framework I had followed and shared the experiments I had done. And that's the book, Write Better Faster. So hopefully that helps people improve their speeds and uh, double or triple their word count, which is what the book promises. What would be your first top bit of advice to give to someone to get just jump started out of the gate writing? Like they want to write and, and, and they just just to get them going. So that's actually, that's an interesting question because that is the topic of this new book that I'm writing called The 8-Minute Writing Habit. So what I do in that book is I break down nine strategies that traditional and indie authors are using to get words down regularly. So it's not about writing faster. It's more about a consistent writing habit. So the, the top thing that I would say definitely would be use 
timed sessions. So what that is, is it just means you have, you know, you get like a countdown timer on your computer or whatever you want to do. And you set a time for a certain amount of time. Um, the one that I talk about a lot is the Pomodoro method, which is 25 minutes of focused time uh-huh. and then five minutes of break. But you don't have to do that much. So in the eight minute writing habit, I talk about if you only have eight minutes, then that's that's actually a pretty good session as well. So when people start doing these time sessions, they see their word counts double like pretty much immediately just by implementing this one thing. And the reason why is because you're forced to focus during the time session and you're essentially racing against yourself and that helps you get into a deep flow while you're writing. And flow is, you know, that's a huge, um, it just helps you increase your speed tremendously. That sounds like a combination of advice of, uh, you know, some people like me, I, I really am only productive under a deadline. Right, exactly. <laughs> also, um, that seems starting at that time at a, at a small amount and then working your way up is very much what they uh, recommend for people who want to start uh, meditating. You know, don't, right. don't yeah. try to meditate for an hour. Meditate exactly. for five minutes. Exactly. Set a timer. And and then after you do that for a while, try six. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, it definitely incorporates so many pieces. Um, So incorporates, you know, tons of research about habits. And, you know, like you said, with the meditation, Um, that's true of like any habit. So like if you want to start exercising, they say just start with a five minute exercise too. There's so many different pieces to that. But that's like the implementation of it. And you're you're really getting a bunch of different pieces um that affect your mindset while you're when you use that i feel smarter already just talking to you there you go (laughs) also you talk a lot about tracking your progress which i think is great advice do you want to talk a little bit more about that yeah so tracking your progress you know that provides a lot of accountability and i think it's a great opportunity so in fact i have a spreadsheet that i use to or that i i don't use it regularly anymore but while i was experimenting I used it to try to understand what were the factors that really mattered. So, for example, that's how I figured out that the Pomodoro method really matters or the time session really matters because I could just see it on my spreadsheet. You know, I saw that I had a thousand words before I used it, 2000 words when I used it. And that was double, you know, that was double my word count. So I I used the tracking method to just prove out some of my ideas and then also to figure out which factors mattered the most. And so what I talk about in Write Better Faster is that if you want to really figure out, you know, what works for you. So there are some tips where, you know, they they work for everybody, like the time session that's going to work for everybody. But if you want to get to like that 3000 to 4000 word range, you have to do the tracking and do experiments on yourself to figure out, you know, what specifically is going to give you those small gains that's going to get you up to that really high word count per hour. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great way when you're starting off to figure out what kind of writer you are because yeah. you know, yeah, are you exactly. do write, write at evenings and mornings. You might think it's one, but maybe not. Well, and then also I was going to ask when you're writing, uh, well, I mean, it would go for anything, but particularly with, with fiction and you're wanting to crank out like 3,000 uh, was it words a, a minute, uh, I'm an hour. hour. Sorry. Wow. Hour. wow. <laughs> I can't talk today. Um, now, do you have to have things pretty well outlined ahead of time? Know where the story's going? Or is that just like free flow writing? Just 
no. go where it takes you. I mean, yeah, I mean, certainly. So it it does depend on what kind of writer you are, but I I believe and what I've seen from just talking to dozens of authors about this as well, and what's true for me because I track this for myself is that knowledge about what you're writing is it's a crucial element. So you're not going to get I think it would be difficult to get to 3000 to 4000 words per hour if you didn't have some sort of pre-production process. So I talk about in write better faster. My pre-production process it's intense. Like I have four different steps, you know, I have outline and I I have a couple other steps and then the last step is drafting. And I go through that whole that whole sequence so that I know exactly what I'm writing. And that's how I'm able to get those high writing speeds. So you might be able, you know, if you're more of a pantser, you might be able to do some free flow writing. But for most people, I think knowing what you're writing is going to give you much higher gains and better results. Okay. Because you're, you're writing towards something. Yeah. You know where it's going to end. You just got to figure it out the middle. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, exactly. Now, one of the tips from the book also is dictation using uh, yeah. Dragon software. Mm-hmm. And I saw that one of your upcoming books is called Dictate Your Book. So yeah. can you talk some more about how you use dictation and what people can expect from that book? Sure. The book's been dictated. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so I did actually dictate the entire book just for, you know, just because you have to if you're writing a book about dictation. <laughs> Um, so dictate your book. It's more of a guide. Um, and it's, it's actually, so the two books I have coming out, one is, you know, I talked about this earlier, the eight minute writing habit. And then one is called dictate your book. Those two books are supplementary to write better, faster, really, because it's stuff that I didn't realize at first that people needed or were interested in. So dictate your book. It's essentially about a collection of about 50 to 60 tips and tricks for getting started with dictation even if you've never done it before or even if you tried it once or tried it before and hated it. So what it is, it's it's really to help authors who are like, you know, I tried this and it really didn't work for me, so I just gave up on it. And they have this mentality that dictation just doesn't work for me. I already have this way that I t- you know, I type I type my books out and I just like my workflow right now. So this book is just going to help you get into dictation, um, help you get over the hurdle of the technology, and be able to use it to increase your writing speed. And I guess that could help, too. I, I type very quickly, but I yeah. suppose for some people who may not type as quickly, um, right, might have a, certainly would help. Yeah. Now, now, I was telling someone about this method, about using Dragon software, and they asked me an interesting question. They asked, I wonder if that would change your, your, your thinking process when you're writing, if you're speaking it rather than typing it. Do you feel like you approach... Yeah, if, if you're approaching it more like a vocal or a audio medium rather than a, a written one. Yeah, do you feel that way at all or just take a little bit yeah. of time to adjust? No, I mean, I do think that it does affect your writing at first. And I think that's a big part of why authors struggle with it because they're like, well, you know, my writing's changing or my style's changing. So, yeah, I absolutely think it can affect your style, but not necessarily in a bad way. And again, I think the only time you would use dictation is either for your notes or for your for your first draft. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to get out your first draft quickly, you always have the opportunity to edit. But I think the reason that 
that change happens is because dictation really forces you to separate writing from editing. And a lot of writers don't do that. Yeah, mm -hmm. that is a difficult that's thing true. to do. You can't edit yourself while you're speaking. Right. <laughs> yeah, so I think that's why writers see that in their drafts. But it doesn't necessarily mean the end result would be that much different. Mm -hmm. So it just it's definitely a different way. You're going to have to find a new way to integrate that into your workflow. If you're already, you know, if you already have your system down, you would want to have a slightly separate system for dictation. Well, I'm sold. I totally want to try it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to get, I think, get, drag in and try it out. I would like well, it'll be see. hard considering I don't talk much, but I think I'd be willing to give it a shot. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think having a podcast, it makes you probably more comfortable with it because, <laughs> you know, a lot of people, a lot of authors, they are a little bit uncomfortable with that to start out as well. Mm -hmm. Be a great way to uh, to blog too. you just speak because yeah. when you're blogging you're kind of speaking to your audience like that. Yeah. Really quick way to blog. Yeah. Okay, you got yeah. us sold on the idea. <laughs> Great, I'll send we you the book. Even, we, have, we haven't even read the book. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've read the book. Okay, I haven't read the book. I was wanting to get some company in this boat, all right? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I've actually been watching you on Periscope a little bit. You've been, you've been using Periscope. He's stalking you. No. Yeah. <laughs> I missed like an episode or two. He had to explain but, to um, me what Periscope is. Yeah, and I'd heard it. This, you're the first person I've actually watched on Periscope. I just Right. Heard about it in press. Actually, I'm still yeah. busy on Periscope. It's very That's... new. Well, very, very new. Why don't you explain Periscope? Yeah, <laughs> sure, I'd be yes, happy to. Periscope. Maybe you'll do a better <laughs> job than he did, or I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so Periscope, it's essentially a live streaming app. And what it allows you to do, it's it's really similar to Twitter. So you know how Twitter is, it's very focused on real-time messaging, and you have only a certain amount of, a certain number of characters. So it's a very limited real-time messaging system. So Periscope is very similar in that it's a limited live stream social network of sorts. And what you do is you essentially, you can start a broadcast there's no preview or anything, so it's not like, you know, YouTube where you can you can do like a Google Hangout, but you can, you know, you can make it private, public, blah, blah, blah. Um, so Periscope, you know, you do your broadcast. It goes out to Twitter. There's not a lot of options there. So during the broadcast, people can comment and they can tap the screen and it'll make these little hearts go up on the side, on the side of the video. Um, so that's kind of a cute little feature. But then the replay, it's only available for 24 hours after the fact. Hey, that was my question. I'm like, do you have to catch it just as it's going? And then after that, you're out of luck? Or? <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's one of those things where they're really trying to encourage people, I think, to show up in real time. Because there's a lot of sticky engagement factors. So the comments, for example, that's a huge piece of it. People on Periscope, if you're doing one, you want to answer the comments live as much as possible. So that's a big part of it. It's almost like um, you're connecting, you know, in this real time with people. Oh, so people are typing comments then while yeah. you're while you're, <laughs> while videoing. you're on video. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting in that respect. And then you know the 24 hour replay. So it is. It's one of those things where if you want to see it, you gotta, you know, you gotta watch it in those next 24 hours, or else it gets removed from the site. So yeah, it's really interesting. I think that the purpose of Periscope 
right now at least is for engagement. Like I don't think it's a great place to find new fans, but I do think it's a great place to reactivate your fan base. Mm, okay. So, yeah. How long are you limited to your your stream? I'm not sure. I know that I haven't hit a limit yet and I probably streamed for like 25 minutes. Oh wow, at- I thought it would be a lot shorter than that. Yeah, yeah, I did too, but yeah, as far as I know I haven't hit the limit yet. So So it's it's not really a good way to build up a, a large volume library of like video things, but it's a good way to daily rally the troops, I guess. Right. Yeah, I I would definitely agree with that statement. So some of the limitations are very frustrating. For example, you you can only record in um, portrait, so not landscape, like every other, you know, every video service in the world uses (laughs) landscape. (laughs) So you can only record portrait. So that's pretty frustrating right now. They may change that in the future. Is that probably because most people are watching it on their phones and they're holding their phones upright maybe? Yeah, exactly. So you've hit on another point to it, which I think is that it's mobile. So there's no, there's not really a good um, web interface right now. It's mm-hmm. really you have to have the app, and it's on. I think it's on Android and um, Apple, Apple's iOS right oh. now. So, yeah. Hmm. You can watch it from PC. I, I've watched it. Right. Oh, right. you can. Just can't stream okay. it. You just can't stream. So the PC can receive it. You just can't send it out from a PC. Yeah. Exactly. No webcams. Ah. <laughs> Save that for YouTube. I was going to say, yeah. well, I guess that could set up webcam. That could set up some interesting periscope <laughs> sessions, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> and I've heard of some filmmakers uh, recently using it for behind-the-scenes stuff while they're shooting. So mm. Yeah, cool. absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a great use of it as well. I think huh. it's really neat. You've encouraged me. I might actually experiment with it. Maybe. Oh, yeah. No, you want to start it now? another one. <laughs> right now. We're going to periscope us interviewing you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not a big technology person. I'm like, no. not another thing. <laughs> you know, what other social media platforms do you recommend for authors to try to promote their work or, or build a fan base? Yeah, that's an interesting question because I can't say that I – I'm heavily active on social media in general, and I don't think it's a great place to find new readers. Um, I think it's a great, I think social media is always great for engaging with your fans. But to me, it seems like you, the place where you find your readers is in, is with your books, like either through, you know, samples, freebies, trials, um, you know, read the first two chapters free, that type of thing. Like that's how you get people to become your readers. And then, you reactivate them through social media. So that's how I use social media. And I use I use Twitter and Facebook and uh, Periscope right now. So those are those are the only ones that I really use. Um, I, I definitely have accounts at all the other places, but I'm not, you know, I'm not super active on any of the other ones. So how did you, when you first started writing, how did you find your fan or fan base or get your fans to find you online? Because that, that, that is a hard thing. It's, there's yeah. so much out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say I'm still finding my fan base for sure. But I think, you know, I think that a lot of it is giving people a sample of what you can do. So like this podcast, for example, is a sample of what I talk about in the books. So if you like the tips on the podcast, you're more inclined to read the book. And then once you get the book, then you're more inclined to get more books. So I think it's all about the samples. With fiction, the way I'm building my fan base right now is having the first in the series free. And then if people like it, then they 
you know, by the next book and then the next one after that. So yeah, I would say just, you know, get people to read your thing. And then if they like it, then you can start charging for it afterward. Mm-hmm. And you actually have some books coming up later down the line that kind of covers some of this. Uh, get your book selling, recruit <laughs> yeah. readers. It's like a drug pusher. The yeah, first hit, absolutely. The first hit <laughs> after that, it's going to cost you. It is. Yeah, it's definitely like drug pushing. <laughs> That's like the perfect business model for it. <laughs> it's not a bad business model to no. Oh, they make a lot of money. (laughs) They're just small business owners. Social media platforms, and we were talking about Periscope. I was wondering if you've you've experienced Blab. Is it Blab, B-L-A-B, right? What the heck are you talking about? I I just just ran across it it today. There's a a web series creator I know who was like tweeted, like, I'm doing blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what are you talking about? And so I clicked on it, and yeah, it's kind of like Periscope. It's kind of like Periscope and Google Hangout had a had a stepchild. Had a love child. Oh, nice. Yeah. No, I haven't heard of that, but that sounds really cool. I mean, certainly there's a lot of room for somebody to come in and you know compete with Periscope. So, but Periscope, right? You know, Periscope is owned by Twitter, I believe. So they're they're definitely you know they got a lot of um, momentum going right now. So I would yeah, I'll definitely be interested to see if some other apps take some of the market away from them yeah i'm curious too isn't there like a meerkat or something isn't there something else yeah there's an animal meerkat (laughs) (laughs) yeah meerkat is one that came out around um south by southwest time this year Mm -hmm. or this past year and they were doing very well and then periscope got bought by twitter and they like died like almost instantly. Um, so I don't, I don't want to say they died. I, th- I mean, they're still going, oh. but their buzz really just fell off. It the died. No, it's like the dark turn of Meerkat. I was Manor gonna say, yeah, we, had, we stopped watching Meerkat Manor. Oh, I, I love and, that show. Yeah, well, we have a cat who would watch it, and we'd actually put a little stool, and she'd sit on it and watch it, and but then like there was a massive dying off of all oh. the regular meerkat and then she started yeah. she'd start crying and whining while it was oh playing. So we, we had to we had to cut her off we had to stop turning on but oh, it was the same okay. she knew what time it Hilarious. would come on and would carry on and she'd go up and tap the tv screen and look at me so i'd put her stool in front of you know a few feet in front of it and she'd sit there and just watch it and but then it took an ugly turn. Oh, that sounds terrible. It was, oh, and so I was bad. like, I, I, I felt like the worst mother in the world. I'm like, you can't watch this anymore, sweetie. I'm sorry. I'm cutting yeah. off of the meerkats. Yeah. 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 That's why parents should always watch the shows first. Right. Exactly. Make sure they're cat approved. It seemed family right. friendly. It seemed family, family friendly. I thought it got two paws up, but no, it, it went downhill. Now they start getting four paws up. Yeah. Ah, ha, ha. Then she started getting depressed and it was just awful. Uh, so we're talking a lot about nonfiction. We might talk a little more about it in a minute, but let's talk a little bit about fiction. Make sure we talk about your fiction books. Yes. So, Don't um, forget that. So one of your first writing projects which you do talk about in the book a little bit, is the Dream Engine that you, you participated in. Right. Tell us more about this uh, really unique project and how you got involved in it. So the Dream Engine is a project put on by a company called Sterling & Stone. And the guys who own the company, I think of them as Johnny, Sean, and Dave. And they they do the self-publishing podcast. So that's how they're very well known in the publishing community. So basically what they did is they created this they had a huge kickstarter for it and everything but they created this open source fiction world 
called Engine World, and they invited authors to be a part of that. So I was one of the authors who um, there was like a world building summit where, a, you know, a couple people in the in the community went to Austin, Texas, and we all put, you know, we all essentially created or helped build upon this world that they had already created. And so what we have now is there's, you know, there's a, a couple authors in the group that are allowed to create canon works and then the rest and, and then anybody else can write in the world. I don't have the... I don't have like the links that you would go to if you're interested in that, but I know if you go to sterlingandstone.net, then they, you know, they they have more information about, you know, how you can get involved in the world and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah. Now you have some sci-fi fantasy type projects like uh Water's Dark and Deep. What's that about? Uh so Water's Dark and Deep, it's it's about it's a young adult young adult fantasy and it's it's essentially an urban fantasy and it's about archangels um there's there's essentially descent you know the the kids in the story are descendants of archangels and there's a big mystery and um they're trying to figure out what happened to their mother and the story you know the story goes on and there's eventually going to be a big war that sort of thing and it's just yeah it's just a fun urban fantasy for young adults so that that project's going to see a lot more attention in the coming year because I would say like right now I just have the first book out and you know it's not not everything for that is quite where it needs to be yet before I like start getting you know before I start trying to recruit readers and that sort of thing to it. A lot of people have tackled angels and such in fantasy. Is there a, a unique angle you took with the angels in this story? Anything no sparkling though, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's certainly there is certainly some Twilight inspiration there. Um, as you know, as most young adult fantasy right now, of course, is in that same vein. Definitely no sparkling, but I think I mean I think the <laughs> the interesting thing about the series, I think, is that there are characters who are much older, but who I believe act older. So a lot of times young adult stories are primarily from a young adult perspective and they're from characters who are you know within like a 15 to 18 year old range um so i i certainly have some viewpoint characters in the story who are much older and i think that will and who who think much older as well because that's something that you see a lot in young adult novels as well like you'll have you know edward the vampire who's a hundred plus years old, but then he acts like a teenager still, or when you get like, when you get into his mind, he's like still kind of from this teenage perspective, this will have more adult characters. And I don't know if it, that will do well with the audience, but I think it will certainly attract more adult readers, mm-hmm. uh, which is, which is still a big market for young adult fantasy. Oh, for sure. I enjoy young adult fiction. Yeah. Too, so. Yeah. My mom read twilight. Yeah. <laughs> I don't hold that against her. I know. (laughs) My mother teases me because I I never liked Twilight, (laughs) but she did. I've actually, I have never read the books. No, we hadn't read the books. We tried watching the movies. Oh, the movies. Yeah. pretty rough. Yeah, I would say the movies are rough, Um, but I I did read the books and I I did enjoy them. I wouldn't say they're my favorite books, but I No, it's probably like most things. Obviously, the books are always going to be better than the movies. Right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But did enjoy 
Hunger Games. So yeah, I love the Hunger Games movies. In fact, I've I've held off. I want to read the books, but I'm waiting until I finish watching the last movie mm-hmm. because I just I really have enjoyed the movies, and I'm afraid that reading the books will make me a little yeah. disappointed. You know, it's like you just. Sometimes yeah. it just, it's always worked that way for me. The book's always better. So I'll enjoy the movies. Then I'll go back and then I'll read it. And then I can go, wow, I'm so glad I waited. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That, I think the Hunger Games adaptation, uh, the movie adaptations are quite, quite good. In my yeah. opinion. They did a very good job, I thought. You have another book uh, series, Social Punk? I love that name. Yep. That is so yep. cool. So what is that about? Yeah, so this is a, it's a cyberpunk series, again, aimed at young adults. And, you know, again, I think it's one of those series. So I would say that it's really similar to a lot of cyberpunk that has come before it, or it it draws inspiration. So, like, one big piece of it is there's this Matrix-like plotline, I would say. So that's, that's a big part of it, you know, without giving the spoiler there. But, um... The biggest thing I think in that book is that it's very much about how the future world might look. There are some aspects of, you know, if you take the things that we have on the Internet now, like social media, affiliate marketing, that sort of thing. What would that look like in real life? Like if there if that was if that had more physicality in our world rather than just being, you know, in the Internet on our computers. There's a lot of, of course, made up technology to explain that but it's really like the internet in more of like a virtual reality sort of uh virtual reality or or is there augmented reality also yeah i mean i think you're right like i would say i'd say definitely augmented reality i I don't know the exact word for it because i don't know that there is a word for it but yeah it, it really is like things that you would normally think of as being online things it's how would those work in the real world if we were trying to implement them. I hope there's no real world trolls. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, of course there are. <laughs> well, duh, what world are you living in? <laughs> we already have those. It's not sci-fi, unfortunately. <laughs> are there any other books or book series that are sci-fi or fantasy-ish that you've done? Well, so right now, um, I'm very focused, you know, I'm focused on the Growth Hacking for Storytellers series, which is, you know, has Write Better Faster, The Aim It Writing Habit, and Dictate Your Book. And then I've also, for the last couple of years, I've been building up a romance pen name, and that's where a lot of my focus has been. So I think in the next year, that's where I'm going to focus on my fiction that's under Monica Leonel, because that's it's been neglected for several years. That's definitely always been where my passion is. The other areas are just, they've been better opportunities to grow a business. And I'm also passionate about them. But, you know, the fantasy and sci-fi for young adults is really where I want to focus my attention. um, Now that, you know, some other aspects of my business have been built up more. Mm -hmm. Now, is that one of the things that you are a proponent of, which is, you know, if you're going to write in different genres, having writing them under a different name? Well, yeah, I would definitely say... I I mean, I think for me, it was that these books are directed at a younger audience, whereas romance books, you know, those are more for adults, typically. Like, you don't really, I mean, you can write young adult romance, but that's a different thing, right? Right. You know, if you're writing just regular romance, that is 
that is meant for someone who's an adult. And I didn't want to mix that or make it confusing. Mm. Yeah, I don't think you necessarily have to have a different pen name for each, but for me, it was the right decision. So thanks, funny. I actually, the only time I, I read romance novels, oh my gosh, I'm confessing. I read romance <laughs> novels um, when I was like in my early teens, probably about 13, 14, <laughs> 15, which is probably not the most appropriate. Um, yeah. No, I know. I know a lot of people, a lot of women who they read romance novels, and it is. I mean, it is a bit mature sometimes even for date. a teenager. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was like years and years before I was allowed to date, even you know. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a huge genre. It is absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely huge. I mean, I I definitely want. I I like writing in a lot of different genres, so I think that's you know, a big part of why I went there. And then also because romance is so huge, there's a lot you can do there in terms of getting readers. Um, romance readers, they're certainly more sophisticated about finding books and they're always seeking out new books. And they're very loyal. So, so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, very loyal. So they're, I mean, romance readers are just fantastic. Yeah. Um, you know, sci-fi and fantasy readers, they get really into you, but it, it takes a lot longer to build that fan base in my opinion yeah it takes a little longer but i think um they both are very once you've got right. them are very loyal very passionate fan, very, yeah, passionate, very loyal fan bases you know and they'll they'll stick with you yeah absolutely so yeah. you picked some very good genres very yeah, <laughs> yeah. Very, very good yeah <laughs> well it's cool to see you bouncing around different genres too because i think that i would imagine makes you a better oh, writer in a way because then you it can, makes it more interesting well you can bend your genre but right, it's not yeah. cliche. So. Yeah, exactly. It keeps yeah, it fresh. Can, yeah, you can do a lot of genre benders that way. Um, and they are. It's different structures for each. So you really have to be, you have to read those genres as well so that you know, you know what the specific structures are. Because, mm -hmm. you know, romance, you got to have a happily ever after where sci-fi and fantasy, the world building is extremely important you know you have to truly nail that and with sci-fi you can blow it up at the end and it's okay <laughs> <laughs> very very true outer limits blew up planet earth i don't know how many times <laughs> yeah yeah maybe not if it's a series not mm. an anthology because it's kind of yeah. difficult yeah <laughs> oh they just rebuild there it. goes the earth oh, let's rebuild oh there it rebuild goes it. again the um, earth's just a death star nobody knows it <laughs> No, we don't want to be sci-fi snobs. I do know you write at least one other book series. What's that book series? So I do have another series that I'm experimenting with. And, um, you know, again, it's it's one of those, the three series that we've talked about, aside from the nonfiction stuff, but the three fiction series, I feel like I still have a lot of work to do on those. So, But my other series is called Emma Plus LC. It's essentially a Jane Austen retelling in modern times. So Emma is um, a character from the book Emma, and then Elsie is a character from the book Pride and Prejudice. So it's a combination of those two ideas and stories, and then it's going to be, it's probably going to be not young adult, but new adult. So I, I need to kind of tweak my, I need to kind of tweak the book to better reflect the genre, but it's it's experimental because it's going to be, you know, primarily a romance, which is not the same at all as, you know, the other stuff that I'm writing under Monica Lee now, but we'll see how it goes. So it should be an interesting experiment. Yeah, I can't wait to, to check that out. It sounds really interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And 
in case someone's listening and you're like, I just now figured out what young adult is. What's new adult? What, what would you think <laughs> Yeah, new adult, it's a very new genre. And I th- I mean, I think there's not a, a an accepted definition at this point. But what I would say is that it's primarily about, it's about that transition from like right after you leave high school when you are an adult, but you're not really an adult still. So it's about, you know, it's about like the ages between 18 and 22, roughly, especially now, like a lot of um, a lot of kids, they graduate from high school, but they go to college and it's still they're still, you know, they're still dependent on their parents, that sort of thing. So it's a it's about that age of being a new adult, but not not fully feeling like an adult and the problems you encounter there. That is interesting. We, we do have sort of an extended, artificially extended adolescence, I think, in our culture. Right. Exactly. And yeah. and there's there's not really a, a threshold point where people feel like, aha, I've been successfully guided into adulthood. <laughs> we don't have right. as many rites of passages, you know. I mean, if certain religious traditions, you know, we have... But as a general rule, yeah, it's just sort of, well, you're kind of an adult, but not really. Legally, you are, but the, the school treats you like a kid. And, you can yeah. smoke, but you can't drink. Yeah, you can right. go fight and die exactly. in a war, but yeah. you're too young for a beer. Yeah, I think that's a great point. There's so many mixed messages at that age. So I, yeah. think, I think that's a bit a big part of what the genre is about. But again, it's a, it's a very new genre. It's only been around for a couple years. Um you know, maybe 2013 or so. So it's it hasn't been around very long. Hmm. It's very interesting. So back to writing. Is there a writing common writing mistake you're seeing authors do, especially indie authors? And then the reverse is uh, just a general tip you would like to give indie authors. Hmm. So I think one common mistake is it, it really, I guess it has to do with dictation. And it, it's this idea that a lot of indie authors right now or just a lot of authors in general, in my opinion, are just outright rejecting dictation as a opportunity to create more content. And I think this is a mistake because it's a new technology that is only going to get more prevalent in the future. You know, if you think about, you know, 15, 20 years ago, there were writers who probably thought, oh, this computer, like what, you know, like I'm going to switch from my typewriter to a computer to do my writing. I don't know about that. <laughs> um, but obviously now, like that's really the accepted way to do it. So I believe that dictation is going to be that in the future because we're seeing already so much of our technology going to a hands-free operation so, you know, this like your television, for example, there's like voice command in that your phone, you've got Siri that you can talk to. You don't you don't even need to text or like type anything in anymore. Everything's going to touch screens. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, not getting on the dictation train right now. I think that's a huge mistake for a lot of indie authors because it does take a while to learn that new skill set. And I do think that, you know, within 10 years, the keyboard could be obsolete. Like, we just don't even know um, how we're going to be controlling things in the future. So I definitely think the world is changing very fast and staying abreast with this technology is very important, especially you have the opportunity now to learn it at your own pace and to take advantage of just the gains it gives you against, you know, other people who are trying to do what you're trying to do. 
-hmm. So that's my, so that's the one that the, the mistake I think people are making. Um, the last tip I would say, so this is an interesting thing that I think, I think it's interesting about writing productivity specifically. So we talked about tracking and how you want to, you know, you want to figure out like, are you a morning writer, an evening writer, that sort of thing. Huh? So just with the, with the stuff that I've studied, basically, I've found that people who do even a little bit of writing in the morning, so, you know, you do eight minutes or you do like your 25 minute Pomodoro, those people end up writing more throughout the entire day. So, which I thought was fascinating because there are lots of people who, you know, they have a full-time job, so they're going to go to work all day and then they come home and they try to write and they're like, man, I just never, like I'm exhausted by that and I never get my writing done or whatever it might be. So if those people just spent five minutes working on their manuscript in the morning, they would end up writing at night because they've got all of this stuff in their subconscious, like they've already activated their mind to be thinking about their manuscript. And then throughout the day, they're writing more in their head, essentially. And then at night, when they come home, they still have a little bit of energy to just, you know, get down what they've already worked out in their subconscious. So that's another tip. So if you're if you're like, man, I can't get my writing habit down or whatever it might be, do your eight minute time session in the morning, like first thing when you get up and you'll write much more throughout the day. Now, in your experience, is there necessarily a direct correlation between whether you're a morning person or a night hawk and whether or not you are a morning writer or an evening writer? Or well, or can you can you be like a night hawk but a morning writer? Well, I wouldn't I mean, I don't know that it's necessarily about being a morning writer or a night hawk, because I think if you're if you enjoy writing at night, then you can still write at night. Right. Mm -hmm. Like doing a little bit in the morning isn't going to, to stop you from doing that. I think that the the aspect of it is that you have your will like your willpower is essentially reset overnight. And there's research about this. There's actually a book called Willpower about this. You have like a limited supply of willpower. Mm hmm. So the things that you do, that, there's a lot of productivity around tips around like doing your most important thing in the morning, for example. Um, and it's true, like people who do the thing that is their highest priority in the morning, they get it done. And then because they had to use a little bit of their willpower to get that done. And then throughout the day, they kind of, you know, they they lose momentum, essentially. So um, I think it I think it has to do a lot with willpower. And just just if this is your priority, get it done first thing and then you've you've gotten it done and it, it actually just keeps your mind going on your project throughout the day. All right. Are there any other projects you like to mention that we have not already? <laughs> no, no, that's that's good. <laughs> good Lord, what else yeah. could you possibly was, done? I hope like, not. <laughs> just like well I'm brokering peace in the Middle East in a couple of weeks. So uh, I'm gonna be kinda busy. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm looking very much forward to your, your future books. And before we where, go, where can our listeners find you and your work online? Sure. Um, you can go to prosonfire.com. That's my main website. If you're interested in the books that I have coming out, so the best place to find them is on Amazon. You can just type growth hacking for storytellers into the Amazon search bar and all the books will come up. 
if you're interested specifically in write better faster, you can just go to prosonfire.com slash write faster, no spaces. The eight minute writing habit is prosonfire.com slash eight minutes. And again, no spaces. The eight is a numeral rather than spelled out. And then the dictation book is at prosonfire.com slash dictate. So if you want to grab any of those books, those will take you directly to Amazon and you can uh, you can pre-order, you can get the Write Better Faster book now, you can pre-order the other ones um, and they will be released on September 8th. So just whenever, depending on when you're listening to this, they may already be out. Great. All right. That's great. Looking forward to it. Before we go, something we ask uh, many of our guests is if they have a favorite fictional quote. Uh, it could be something that um, reflects their worldview. It could be just something funny. Uh, something that's inspired them. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have one of those? Yeah, um, actually, so my favorite quote is from um, Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. It's a, you know, it's a very popular quote. And I like it because it's funny and it just sets a great tone for the book. So it is... It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. And it's, it's really sets the tone. <laughs> the reason I love it is it's just, it's so funny. It's such an, oh, such a wrong assumption that. And it's, it's very proven. dry humor. I love that. Right. It is. Jane Austen is just, she's hilarious basically. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, it sets the tone for the theme of the book. So I, I, like I really that one. That's about a good it. one. It's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been, it's thank been you. a lot of Thanks fun. for having me. Hi, I'm supernatural thriller author J.F. Penn, and you're listening to Jean Retainment. Well, thanks to Monica for being on the show, and we will have the links that she mentioned listed in the show notes. I've read her books, Write Better Faster, and The 8-Minute Writing Habit just came out. Mm-hmm. They're both excellent books, and I would suggest checking them out. I do have her book, Dictate Your Book, and plan on reading that next. And I think I'm going to give Dictation a try on my new book. We'll see how that works out. I'll let you guys know. Okay. Now, before we go, we want to mention that we have joined two other excellent shows to create the League of Geeks Network. League of Geeks. League of Geeks. Epic sound. It should echo. Um, geeks, geeks, <laughs> geeks, geeks. The network can be found on Blog Talk Radio. No, we just sound like geese when we did that. Sorry. I love geese. <laughs> The network can be found on Blog Talk Radio, where you can find Genre Retainment and partner shows SFP Now and Super Geeked Up. Our newest episodes can be found at scifipulseradio.com, and a few weeks later, the episodes will be posted on Blog Talk Radio. Now, you can always keep track of us by subscribing to us on iTunes or Stitcher, or by following our Genre Retainment Facebook page, Marx's Twitter account, which is at Mr. Marks, our website at genretainment.com, or you can follow all of the shows at scifipulseradio.com. So that's it for today's Genre Entertainment. We'll be back soon with all new guests from our favorite films, TV shows, novels, and web series. Genre Entertainment is a production of Alien Jungle Bug Productions. Until, Until next time. time. Bad monkey.